Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Welcome to Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. I'm your host, Leonard DiLorenzo. How important is beauty to Catholic life? What about the physical spaces where we worship, engage in the liturgy, and encounter the sacrificial love of God? On today's show, we talk with someone who's given not only a lot of thought, but also a lot of hands-on work to answering these questions. Jeffrey Keating is the owner of Keating Woodworks. After a decade of producing handcrafted furnishings for people's homes, he took on the project of renovating his home parish, Sacred Heart, in Colorado Springs, Colorado. What he and his team of artists and artisans created is a place where the mysteries of faith are celebrated upon the work of human hands, the work of the hands of those who worship week in and week out at Sacred Heart Parish. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure. You know, at the, at the turn of the 13th century, St. Francis of Assisi heard the voice of the Lord instructing him to you know, rebuild a church. And so famously, we know this, Francis actually physically rebuilt a church, and only later he got the real charism behind the call. I'm bringing this up with you, Jeffrey, because you just finished rebuilding your home parish, like physically. I'm wondering, like, what did you guys do out there at Sacred Heart Church in Colorado Springs? And where did the inspiration come from? Right. Yeah, it was probably a little bit easier than uh, what Francis did, you know, <laughs> stone by stone. Yeah. Uh, I had a few more people helping me out. Um, yeah, so with this, it's the name of the parish is Sacred Heart, and it's here in Colorado Springs, and it's actually a CSC parish. Um, the, the Holy Cross Novitiate is just up the hill from us. Uh-huh. And so it's an old Spanish mission-style building built in 1922 by this prominent architect, Thomas McLaren, um, kind of one of the better-known architects in the West at that time. And it's just, it was a really cool old building that was falling down. It was kind of getting to the point where they needed to do something on it. Mm -hmm. Or in 10 or 15 years, it was probably going to be past the point of no return. So uh, Ron Rabb, who's a CSC priest and the pastor there, decided that the time was now. And so he kind of spearheaded the effort. And it was basically a combination of a construction company fixing some of the uh, structural issues with the building. Yeah. And then me and my team working through um, some exterior elements like the doors and then everything else on the interior of basically rebuilding and updating and trying to keep it as true to the to the mission style character of the space as possible. Yeah. While, you know, making sure that it fit the current liturgy and the needs of the community. So, yeah, and we just finished a couple months ago. Excellent. Can you give us uh, a little little glimpse into what you did on the inside? Yeah, so everything from, like I said, the exterior doors Uh to a bunch of the interior architectural millwork, um, you know, new trim, and then there were some old radiators. They updated the the mechanical system, but, you know, it's still a radiator-based system. And so we built mission-style screens that go around those, so a bunch of architectural millwork elements like that, Um, window shutters, and then we also did all the furnishings, so the pews, 
uh, all the seating, the confessionals. We re- we rebuilt confessionals to kind of mimic what they used to have in the 20s. Wow. And then all the furnishings in the sanctuary, you know, the altar. We put a big kind of a retablo-style reredas in the back, um, a baptismal font, um, presider's chair, all those kinds of things. And then we also... Uh, we salvaged some of the existing lighting and, and we were able to clean it up and reuse it. And then we created some new lights for the space. So when you're, you're tasked with uh, rebuilding something like a baptismal font or an altar, how do you go about designing something like that? It seems like high stakes, right? So this isn't just your own you know, private preference and opinion, but you're creating something that's befitting of a worship space that's going to be there for the community, not just now, but hopefully for decades and maybe even century to come. Like where, how do you go about designing something like that? Yeah, that was an interesting challenge for me. I've, I've been designing and making standalone furniture for about a decade now. Uh And it's just such a different process when I'm doing that. I'm thinking about nothing but what I want to see visually. Yeah. And it's a little bit more, you know, my style is kind of a neo-traditional. I take you know, like shaker style elements and then, you know, kind of incorporate contemporary lines. And so I have a kind of a set aesthetic and it's just about what I want and the function that I want and the lines that I want. And this was a much more complicated process where there was already an existing space. Uh And so we had the Spanish mission style character. And then, like you said, it was going towards a very specific purpose um, of how it would be incorporated into the liturgy and that, you know, the sacrifice of the mass would take place at the altar and all these kinds of things that are floating around in the back of your head when you're, when you're working through the designs. So I definitely felt like it was a much more complicated process. And it was, you know, typically I'll just start in with kind of a sketch and then build some mock-ups when I'm building my own stuff. Right. But with this, it was a, a much longer process where it was, you know, three or four months just designing. And because the pieces were so large and complicated, I wasn't as able to go through and build, you know, one-to-one mock-ups like I typically do with my own furniture. Right. And so a lot of it was thinking through the process beforehand. We did have some old photos of what some of the original furnishings looked like. Okay. And so we were able to use some of that. It's kind of interesting with mission style churches. And this is actually, even though this is mission revival is built in the 1920s rather than, you know, 1680 or 1710 or something like that but they would have this very rustic style architecture and then they would typically import the pieces for the sanctuary from Europe. So it would be some sort of, you know, French Gothic Raridas along the back wall, high altar, and then this kind of really rustic furnishings. And that's kind of what that original furniture looked like from the twenties. Right. Um, had a very Gothic feel kind of shoved into this mission style space. And so we use some of that as an inspiration, but we wanted to create pieces that felt like it fit the architecture better. Uh, right. And so, so some of it was just, you know, kind of pulling off of the architecture, and but then making sure that it would work with the liturgy, you know? Like, we just had a baby, and... You, you and your wife, your fam, not the parish, you and exactly. your wife no, just no, had exactly. a right. Yeah, we just, yeah, exactly. A little baby boy, and then it was baptized in the baptismal font. And that so you I was built. Kind of, as my wife was pregnant, and we were, you know, I was like getting towards the end of the project <laughs> thinking about that. It definitely puts like a different sense of focus on the design element. Wow. What was that like to baptize your own child in a baptismal font that you yourself crafted? It was really cool. It was, you know, even before that, when they did the dedication ceremony, uh, it was a lot more moving than I expected. I typically, like I said, I build a piece of furniture. Um, it's a rocking chair, spindle back uh-huh. chair, and then it just gets get shipped off somewhere. 
And somebody else's um, you know, house. A lot of times I don't, exactly. It's like a, a client in New York and I don't know the person and, you know, I never see the piece again or where it goes. Right. And so to be in the space during the dedication and to see, you know, your community there and then the bishop is there and he's consecrating the altar with the sacred oils. And it was just an incredibly moving moment to see not only the things you built being used, but being used for a sacred purpose. Mm-hmm. And then it was the same thing with the baptism where it was, it was um, that combination of like, oh, look at this, this thing that, you know, I kind of worked on and it was just, you know, a bunch of wood at one point, And now here we are doing this, you know, extremely meaningful thing there. <laughs> the work of your hands now using, being used for the sacrifice of the mass. How about that? Exactly. So in terms of the design, you're talking about, you know, having in mind, not just your own personal private preferences, but uh, actually the liturgical usage um, and the appropriateness of what you're building for that liturgical use. Who else was involved in uh, the the architectural planning of this, or the you know the drafting of these various pieces that go into the church? Was there a committee? Was there you know were you? I imagine you were in close dialogue with the pastor. Yeah, so it was the the building committee and the pastor there at the parish were involved, um, but they were very hands off. They just they turned me loose and they said, um, "Go to you know you do your thing." Mm-hmm. and check in with us every so often and kind of let us know where you're at. Okay. Um, and, you know, it got to the point where with the Ambo, I struggled with that design so much that, I, you know, they actually never looked at a sketch of that before it was built. Really? Um, you know, all the other pieces, they saw sketches before I actually started construction, but uh. they were very hands-off, which, which was nice. It really allowed me to work through the process and try and create pieces that I was happy with that oh, I yeah. thought would fit the space. That's what Michelangelo wanted in the Sistine Chapel and never got. <laughs> Just leave me alone and let me finish the work, right? Right, yeah. right. And it was, and it's a testament to them and their patience uh-huh. and their trust in me that they were able to do that. Now, I did have a couple people... Um, Ryan Hughes is a, a Notre Dame graduate from the architecture program, and Elizabeth LaDuke, mm-hmm. um, she was the same thing, graduated from the architecture program at Notre Dame, and Elizabeth is actually a neighbor, and then Ryan and I are friends from way back, and so we kind of corresponded over phone and email. But they helped quite a bit as I was working through sketches, and they would sketch along with me and present their ideas, and we had, you know, like a lot of back and forth, so it was nice since I had to go straight from from a sketch to construction to have other people that had a really good sense of proportion and balance that I could bounce these ideas off of. Mm-hmm. You know, but one of the things we really wanted to come across is that it was handmade. Oh yeah. Because I think the churches, they were looking at the very beginning of the process as they were thinking through what a restoration might look like. A lot of what they were looking at were pieces out of catalogs, you know? And so it didn't really fit the space. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel handmade. It felt like it was churned out in a factory. And so we wanted something that fit the space and then also felt handmade. Oh, yeah. And so that was, you know, and kind of thinking through on the design side to make sure we didn't lose that in the mix, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's something so clear with all your work that it's it's very clearly handmade um, and it has that sort of beauty that only handmade work can have. You're listening to Church Life today on Redeemer Radio. We're talking with Jeffrey Keating, owner of Keating Woodworks, who recently oversaw the restoration of his home parish, Sacred Heart Church in Colorado Springs. Now, Jeffrey, you didn't do all of this work alone, as you're already alluding to. Others were involved, other artists, other contributors in different ways involved in this restoration. What does it mean, do you think, to have the gifts of so many who form or reform this place of worship, all of those those gifts being poured into this one space. What Could you give us some reflections on what that might mean? 
Yeah, I think it really, I think the way the space ended up, it tells that story mm-hmm. that there were all these different artists and artisans that contributed along the way. You know, a lot of times now it'll be, even if it's a, a talented architect, they'll work through AutoCAD drawings on the computer and then that gets shipped off to a mill, you know, even if they're not going to buy uh furniture out of the catalog and then you know a mill shop kind of cranks those out on their cnc machine but to have all these different people with their individual talents whether it was a glass blower or a metal smith um and then several other people that are friends of mine that are that are either woodworkers or artists in their own rights that helped me with some of the individual pieces on the woodworking side where you felt like their voice came through in the final piece and you could see that the glass candle stands were hand blown the glass on the chandeliers was hand blown it just has such an obvious different aesthetic effect Mm -hmm. and i think when you walk into the space you feel that you know it's kind of part of the story it's 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 not the same but it's maybe analogous to when you walk in and you see stories that are told in the stained glass in churches you know Mm -hmm. and so there's the creation story on those three windows or whatever it is i think there's a similar effect when you come in and you can see that oh someone and, and they were all local Someone in our community made those candle stands or did the metal work or did those copper details on the pews or whatever it was. And so it kind of in that way tells its own story. And I think that that was really became one of the unique parts of the church is how those handmade elements kind of told their own story. Hmm. You know, you remind me a bit of the book of Exodus. Well, I should probably add that line to my ongoing book of failed pickup lines that I plan to write someday. <laughs> you, you know, you remind me of the book of Exodus. But, um, you know, as you probably know well, in the book of Exodus, when Moses is given the charge to design and construct the tabernacle, um, he he himself can't do it. And there are two master builders who oversee all of the work. But it isn't just their work. It's the contributions from the generous hearts of all of the people of Israel who both give the material but also have the the skilled work to construct this space that's very delicately designed and very masterfully created. Um, I don't know, that just comes to mind, like the gift of the whole people in response to a call that's overseen by the people themselves and becomes a pleasing offering both to the Lord, but also it says something about about themselves. Um, no, that's right. Yeah, with the, with the tabernacle in, in at the church in our space, I, I counted it up one day, and there were sixteen different people that worked on it. On the tabernacle you alone, know, in sacred at sacred heart. Yeah, and yeah. so it was just you know uh, my sister in law is an artist, and she designed the, the the art that ended up on the door, and you know we it was copper leafed, and then all these different people that contributed, where you know the sum of the parts became greater than the whole, and it was that the challenge was then is to try and create. You know, turn all those voices into something that was symphonic rather than, you know, than kind of, you know, individual artisans shouting over each other. But yeah, that's exactly right. It became kind of the work of the community. So reaching for that kind of harmony, that symphonic voice, as you're saying, uh, out of the many individual voices, which seems so appropriate to what we do in the liturgy, we begin by confessing, I believe, and from our own individual I, we are joined together in this faith that we profess and therefore also in the sacramental life. So the space itself and its construction, it sounds like you're saying, becomes a reflection of that sacramental communal character of the worshiping people themselves. I think that's right. You know, I think that I mean, it's, it's obvious to say things like, oh, there's a reason that we don't pray or at least as effectively or feel the same way at the DMV as we do when we're in a church, <laughs> a sacred space, you know? Yeah. And then I think it comes to, there's, there's a way in which when in the community itself comes together, 
you know, in, in, in the ways that they used to, where it was, you know, there was the, 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 this book that was recently released that my wife was telling me about. I think the subtitle was they lived in hovels and built cathedrals. Hmm. Um, you know, we were at, we were in Leadville, which is down the road from us. And it was the same thing. It's this old mining town and they had this amazing Catholic church. And, you know, in 1880, when they built it, all the people who built it were these miners living in shacks and they built this space that, that was a testament to their belief and faith in God, but also the ways in which they saw themselves as a community was the space they came together every week as a community um, for that hour or whatever it was, but felt more human, um, Mm. felt like a child of God. And I think, you know, there's something special whenever different people in the community come together and help contribute to that space. And then you get together in that space and it kind of, the building itself, the space itself tells part of that story. You know, it just it seems like so much in our modern lives, we're de-emphasizing the importance of actual physical space and sharing a face a space together, and perhaps even in uh, people's spiritual lives, even the the overused line that I'm spiritual, not religious, which is like saying you right. know I, I'm breathing without a respiratory system or something like that. Like the the physical right. space. The physical spaces themselves are reduced, and there are even perhaps strands of this in Catholic thought that um, it's the people and not the space that's the church, but this either-or seems to be cutting against something of the Catholic genius and the real heart of the Catholic faith. What have you seen or, or reflected on in terms of the importance of the actual physical sacred space for the life of the Catholic faith? Yeah, for me, I think that in it, and I, I think you're exactly right. It's a reflection of, of moves in the larger culture. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it comes down to something as simple as efficiency and cost effectiveness. Yeah. You know, and I think people, when they're building the church, they, they, they're afraid. They're afraid all oh, the costs are going to spiral out of control. You know, they're looking at just the basic cost of what it takes to put in a heating system or whatever it is. And as the cost build up, if, if artistic and aesthetic elements were included at all, they end up getting value engineered out at the end. You know, and a lot of times it's not included in the plan to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what happens is we're poor as a community as a result. I think one of the recent Pew polls on why people are leaving churches, leaving religions, the the number one answer is they don't feel that their spiritual needs are met. Mm. And for me, beauty is one of the key components of that. It is itself a spiritual need to find to find and be confronted by beauty. Exactly. That's, I think that's exactly right. And now that the space is finished, um, you know, the, the church is overflowing. I went and I had to, to speak to the, to the parish last weekend about the capital campaign. Uh-huh. And, you know, I usually go to my one, I go to 730, the kids are up early and so I'm up early and, and it's always pretty full, but then going to the other services and there's just busting at the seams. You know, people are standing in the back, the balcony is completely full and mm. in a way that it wasn't before the renovation took place. And I think people are hungry for beauty. They want more than ever. Yeah. They want a space where they can go. They can get away from their phones, from their screens, from, you know, all the buildings that look like banks and dentist office and, and you know, everything that we experience in our day-to-day life in terms of space and come to a place that felt beautiful, that, that felt sacred, where they can have a moment to be silent and to hopefully feel the presence of God. And I think that we've lost the sense of the importance of that and that we maybe need to sacrifice a little bit more to, to include those elements when we either we're restoring an existing space or building a new one, that we've lost that sense of how, how important it is to make the sacrifice and make sure that's part of the space. 
You're listening to Church Life Today and Redeemer Radio. We're talking with Jeffrey Keating, owner of Keating Woodworks, about his restoration project of his home parish, Sacred Heart Church in Colorado Springs. Now, Jeffrey, you don't just do sacred art. Your carpentry business includes exquisite, beautiful handcrafted furniture and other items that are made available, both for, I think, general sale and by commission. But I know you a little bit. You haven't always been a professional woodworker. You have a history, in fact, as a, as a scholar, as somebody who was working towards the completion of a PhD in theology. What's the story about how you ended up doing what you're doing rather than the life of a professional academic? Right. So on my mom's side of the family, we have a long uh, history, long tradition of woodworkers. And so that element of woodworking and working with my hands was always kind of in the back of my mind, you know, whether it's growing up or as I got a little bit older and, and through college. Um, but you're right. Initially, I was on an academic track and I went, you know, I did a master's in Notre Dame and at Yale and was back at Notre Dame working on a Ph.D., and, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the time with my books. I really enjoyed the time in the classroom with the students. I taught high school briefly in San Antonio. And Thank that's one of the service. things that pushed me. <laughs> you had an all-boys Catholic high school, Central oh Catholic. Shout, shout out to Central Catholic High. All right. And, but that pushed me. I was like, oh, I want to go on and, and kind of dive deeper into these books and, and work with students. And I enjoyed that, but there was always something lacking, something kind of tugging, tugging, you know, in the back of my mind that I needed to be doing something a little bit different. Mm. And so while I was in grad school at Notre Dame, I started, you know, just buying some hand tools basically and building little boxes and practicing, you know, hand cutting dovetails and things like that. And that really just started to take on a life of its own. And I started building pieces for friends and building kitchens for friends and you name it. And so at one point, shortly after I got married, I just decided that I needed to make the transition full time. I found this other thing that was really my passion. Mm. Um, you know, designing and building things with my hands. And so this was about 10 years ago. I, I left the academy and just jumped into the woodworking business full time. How'd that conversation go with your wife? <laughs> she was, it's really funny because we got married and then I took my qualifying exam. And then a few months later, I submitted my dissertation proposal and I got accepted. Uh-huh. And you know, we were just kind of plowing ahead with that. And so, but it was maybe seven or eight months into being married. We, we haven't even, hadn't even been married a year yet. And I said, oh, I think I'm going to quit the, my PhD program. <laughs> and, and I had no idea how she was going to take it. Right. Um, you know, I'd already been doing a lot of woodworking, but she was a hundred percent supportive. Mm. You know, she said, if that's what you need to do, then let's figure out a way to do it. And so she was teaching high school um, at the Trinity School of Greenlawn there in South Bend at the oh, time. Yeah. And that's where my son goes. Okay, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so basically her salary allowed us to, for me to jump in and try and do the woodworking business. You know, she paid the bills while I was trying to get this business off the ground. And everything that the business made, I was able to put it right back into it by buying new machines or whatever it was. And so, um, you know, she was 100% supportive and I just jumped in and we never looked back and it's been completely the right decision. Yeah. And she's stayed very involved in this business. You're co-owners of it, right? And she's, she she in there in the, in the workshop with you, your kids in there with you? My kids are down here a lot. We've got like little uh, kid size headphones, you know, noise, noise reducing headphones for them. And so they're (laughs) hanging out all the time. All right. And they know what they're doing. Sometimes helping, sometimes getting in the way, but they're around. And then she doesn't do as much in the shop. She's a little bit more on the organizational business side of it. All right. 
right? So did this project, the project of restoring your own parish, did this, I'm just wondering, like, did this bring you back in some way to the road not taken, doing this sacred art um, and bringing back some of your theological thinking with your your hand, you know, woodworking skills? Yeah, I felt like it was it, you know, it kind of brought everything full circle. Doing doing just the woodworking where I'm building rocking chairs and things like that. It was interesting. I think I applied a lot of what I learned in grad school hmm. in terms of, you know, whether it's researching new techniques for, you know, or, or a history of construction or whatever it was, kind of the research side of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there were those echoes there and you know, and I never fully left some of the elements of the academy behind. There's a college right across the street from us, Colorado College, and so I'll help out there a little bit. And so I was kind of able to keep like a toe in the academy. But um, working on a church, on a sacred space, on a religious space, it really felt a lot of what I used to do in the past coming back. Yeah. And I felt like I was able to bring a unique perspective to it, um, thinking through the theological side of how the liturgy functions and what some of those elements mean with what we want to create visually and functionally as a space. And so it was really cool to be able to combine both of those elements. Oh, very cool. Do you see yourself maybe doing something like this again? Yeah, so we've actually started up kind of a second business called Sacred Spaces. Oh, yeah. Um, that focuses on just this kind of thing, on, on either restoring or working through new interior design elements on new spaces. Mm. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's, an, it's, it's a challenging you know, thing to do, to, you know, to work with the building committee, to work with the church, to figure out what they need. But it's just incredibly rewarding to feel like, oh, a community is going to use this. You know, babies are going to be baptized in this space. People are going to get married in this space. You know, the faith is going to be passed on in this in this space. And so I think both my wife and I decided that this is something that we wanted to try to con- continue to do more of. And so, yeah, so we have a, a new business called Sacred Spaces. Very good. Well, perhaps my pastor, Father Kevin, is listening because he and I and others on our pastoral council have had some conversation about this. So we might be checking out some of your work. Can people find you online? Yep. So my uh, furniture business is Keating Woodworks, um, Keating Woodworks on Instagram or KeatingWoodworks.com. And then the uh, the the religious business, Sacred Spaces, is sacred, sacred-spaces.co. Sacred-spaces.co. Exactly. Okay. Well, we encourage our listeners to check out uh, Jeffrey Keating's work either at Keating Woodworks or at Sacred Spaces. Uh, Even if you're not looking for something right now, it's just beautiful to look at the sort of work that's produced in his workshop and shared all across the country for people's homes and now in Sacred Heart Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where they've just completed their restoration project. Jeffrey, thanks so much for spending the time with us here today. Yeah, thank you guys and all the great work that you're doing. You're welcome. Thanks to everyone else for listening in to Church Life Today.